Good morning again. I'd like to welcome our Wilmington campus along with us. They are tracking along and joining us on, on this series, Lost and Found. So they're listening in. It's a good reminder for all of us in Wilmington and in Hokesson that we're one church gathering in two locations each week. And um, again, I want to welcome you. If you're a visitor here, a visitor in Wilmington, just want to say we're glad you're here. And if you've been here the most times ever, then uh, we're also glad you're here. But we're in a series that's actually wrapping up today. It's called Lost and Found. And we've actually spent four weeks in the Gospel of Luke in one chapter, Luke 15. So you can open there again. That's where we'll be today. But there's a richness in moving slowly through the Word of God that I think we've all felt at different times, or many of us have felt, I'm sure. And in Luke 15, there's three parables that Jesus gives, and there's a narrowing in the parables. It goes from 100 sheep, one lost sheep um, being found, how much rejoicing there is, even if there's 100 sheep, or 10 coins, one coin is lost, how much rejoicing there is over a lost coin being found. We're two sons, and one of them wanders off, then he comes back, and how much rejoicing there is in the household of God when the lost are found. And if there's anything that we should remember from these parables, it's that there's, there's an abundance, an extravagance of joy in God's house when the lost are found, when sinners are found, when people turn toward God and are received back. There's um, an amazing joy that's there with God, that he loves rescuing sinners. And this was at the heart of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. It actually accomplished it, that we would be reconciled to God through Christ. And these are three parables to tell that story. And um, I really love listening to Jesus, the storyteller, and the way he can craft a story. We've been looking at parables. If you remember, a parable is a teaching with one main point. It's an illustration, a story from, from everyday life. Jesus, in particular, Jesus uses the known parts of life to open up the unknown parts of life. He uses the physical and the material world and the relationships that we have here, and he presses into them the unknown spiritual, the spiritual life, the spiritual realm. And that's what he's doing here. This is our third week on the prodigal son. The last two weeks, we've really looked at collectively the idea of sonship, that both the younger and the older son are equally sons. They're equally God's children. They're equally the father's children in the story. And in the household of God, sonship is not transactional, but it's relational. And that was the message from the last two weeks, that to be a child of God is not a transactional, something that we earn or earn our way into, it's based on the relationship of God coming to us in Christ. 
in accepting us in as his child. But today on this last week, we turn to fatherhood. So fatherhood is something that, unlike sonship, either being a son or having a son, fatherhood is embedded in every person's life, at least the concept. For even if you have a father that is unknown to you for whatever reason, um, fatherhood is still an important concept in your life for any person, regardless of where they live or how they live. Oftentimes, if you um, hear a story of a father either being absent because of, for whatever reason, maybe it's death, maybe, or maybe they were an absent earthly father in their own way, you often hear of stories how people fill that role in someone's life as a father, just like a mother. I mean, you can't get through life really without the concept of fatherhood or motherhood. And so we're going to turn to the concept of fatherhood on this last week in the parable. So I'm going to read it. This is actually the third time, three weeks in a row, that we're reading the parable of the prodigal son. So if you've been with us all three weeks, um, I hope you enjoy listening to it again. As we listen, we're going to be listening to this parable um, from the father's perspective. When I say the father, I'm not necessarily speaking about God. I'm speaking about the father in the parable. So we're going to be listening from the father, the character, the father's perspective in this story. This is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger, on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So let's allow Jesus, the storyteller, to craft a picture, to paint a picture of the character of the Father. What do we see in the Father as we walk back through this parable? The early things that we see are kind of more passive, I would call them. The first thing that the Father does is that he, well, he listens to his son, and then he, he divides his property. He gives his land away to the younger son. And not only does he divide it up, but the son runs off. And the father seems to be pretty passive in that. The son runs off, and the father releases him to run. I don't think we need to put too much weight on that part of the story, because if you remember the setting, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And they're upset because sinners are drawing near to Jesus that the lost are coming close to him. So that the point of where it starts with the Pharisees is that people have already run off. They just aren't allowed to come back. So, but in the story, that's where Jesus starts. He starts at the beginning. And this father, he gives this land. He gives um, his wealth away. He releases it, and then the son runs off and squanders it. And at this point, the the younger son is dead. He's dead to the household. The next thing the father does is he, this is more inferred again, but he leaves a memory in the boy, the young man, the young son. When he's at the bottom in the pig's pit, he has this memory. Oh, my father's hired servants. They eat better. They have plenty. They have plenty of bread. The father was able to leave this memory in his son. But really, the activity of the father comes more toward the middle of the parable. We know what the younger son does. He squanders it all in reckless living. He tries to make his way on his own. The severe famine comes along, and he he awakens to himself. He rises up. He turns. He repents. He turns back to 
his father, and he says, maybe there's a place for me in my father's household. And then he comes back. And that's where we see the father's real activity. So in verse 18, the this younger son, he arises and he comes to his father. He practices what he's going to say. In verse 20, he actually does it. He rises up and goes to his father. And look at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. The father This father in this story has great vision. He can see a long distance. He has great eyesight. He can see to the horizons. And he looks off on the horizon and he sees his son. Maybe it's the profile of his son. That's my boy. That's his profile. I I cannot believe this. And with vision, with this amazing vision on the horizon, he sees his son. It was dead. And then it says that he feels compassion. Literally, he feels it in the inward parts. He feels it in his stomach, in his heart, in his kidneys. What he sees, it starts to well up inside of him. Is this for real? And then this activity within him, it triggers something very undignified. It's the running. The father runs after the son. It should have been the younger son running back to the father, but no, it's the father running to the son. And he runs, this undignified. Many have observed how, no, 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 the father should not be running. He should be standing there waiting for the son, this wayward son to come back. But he runs, and then he embraces. Literally, it says that he fell upon the neck of his younger son. And have you ever been um, separated from someone for a time, a period of time, and then when you finally have the opportunity to be back together and hold that person, like the embrace of it, and how, how strongly you feel it? I, I've been wondering for this father if he what he saw off in the distance, he couldn't believe it. And that's what triggered it. And then he found his son. And he, he grabbed onto him and he kissed him. He, sh- he did not hold back his affection. And very quickly, the story continues. The father listens to the son. The son confesses, I've sinned against you in heaven. Make me a servant. The, the father listens for a brief moment, but then he turns And it's really interesting. In verse 22, it's the first time that the father speaks. In the whole parable, it's the first accounted words that we have accounted for in verse 22. The father said to his servants, he turned to his servants. And it's really cool because the power of these words set into motion the restoration. The father actually directs it more than he does it. The father says, bring quickly the best robe, the best we have in our home. We're going to put it on him. Put the family ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. He directs um, the clothing of his son. And then he directs the feast. Get the fattened calf. We're having a feast. We're having a party. He's here. And then he does something really cool in verse 24. I love this. He declares... 
He declares what is happening. For whoever is around, whoever can listen, he says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is, a fa- and is found. And then the father joins the celebration. They began to celebrate in the home. It's beautiful. But the story doesn't end there. It continues. The older son, he comes along. He was out in the field. And he hears this dancing. What? There's dancing in the home. And he turns to his servant and says, what's going on? Your brother, he's back. He's, they're having a party for him. And it says that the brother, the older brother, felt anger. And, but look what the father does in verse 28. It, it was the older brother's anger that kept him outside of the house. But his father, who was in the home celebrating, came out and entreated him. It's a silent conversation that, we ha- that they have. There's this pleading for the father, come into the home. And then the father listens again. This time he listens to the older brother. He hears this grievance. I can't believe it. You know, he squandered everything. At least he's got to like run some laps or something. Like we have to account for this, this loss to our land. And he listens. And then the father speaks again. And this is where the parable ends with the father speaking a second time. And look what he says. And he said to him, verse 31, and he said to him, son, 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 you're always with me. All that I have is yours. All that's mine, everything that I have is yours. Why are you angry over this? It was fitting to celebrate. For this, your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. And that's where the parable ends. As we step outside of the parable for a second and think about the setting, what was Jesus trying to communicate to the Pharisees? What picture was he developing for them? I think he was describing a father who um, knows who he is. This father knows who he is. This father has a nature... um, with abounding love. And the extents of this father's household are uh, limitless. And the quality of his home has been described. So who is the father? Well, like the shepherd, God is like a shepherd. God is like a coin. God is like a father. Jesus is, is taking these earthly images that we can relate to so that we can understand who God is. So God is like a father, and God's love is expressed perfectly in Jesus' life, and that's what he's trying to tell the Pharisees, that his love is not merited. It can't be earned. You can't earn God's love. God defines love. He started love. He's the author of love. God is love. And he shares it with us, and then we get to exchange it with one another. He's the originator of love. And his love is is good. It's perfect. He's a good father to both sons. This is a picture of fatherhood. 
godly fatherhood. He's a good father to both sons. He loves them differently, but equally well. And his, his call is the same. Come into the home. And that's where we see the extent of the Father's kingdom, is that it's limitless. It, both times, when the, when the younger son comes back and he's worried about everything he's lost, the father overlooks it. And when the older brother is, has this grievance, we can't overlook this. The father looks at it, overlooks it. It's as if his kingdom is limitless. Like there's no boundaries on the kingdom of this father. And, but the thing I love the most, actually, is what I see in the home, is the quality of the father's home. There's a protection that the father places on this household. It's, it's the older brother's anger that it's his anger that won't let him open the door to the feast and the celebration. The feast has gone from the, the dinner time, the fattened calf. Now it's dancing, celebrating. They've moved into the reception. Brothers, the older brother's still outside. And that's how the parable ends, with the brother outside of the house. And to me, this is a picture of the quality of the father's house, the atmosphere, the environment, the protection of the father's home. It will be a place of unity. The Pharisees listening would have felt this. And in fact, the parable ends on this telling disunity. There's this separation between the brothers, and it hasn't, hasn't been fully dealt with. And it's actually where Jesus leaves the end of this parable. And it points us back to where it started with these Pharisees, that they have been frustrated that people out, who they think are out, the outcasts or the people that shouldn't be part of God's family, are drawing near. Not only that, but they're eating with him. And they're, they're, they're mad. They're, this is not the way they think it should go. But this is the Father's way. We can turn back to Genesis. There's, there's a story in Genesis, the beginning, that I think um, pictures sort of the life, the heritage of the Pharisees. And I think it's, it's a parallel to what Jesus is talking about here. You can go back to Genesis 25. We'll just read something briefly here at the end. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 21, we hear about Isaac. So Isaac is Abraham's son, um, the one, the promised son. And like Abraham had difficulty having a child, so does Isaac. Isaac's struggling to have a child, yet he's the, the son of promise. So look at this, Genesis 25, verse 21. You can listen or read along if you have a Bible. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her womb, and she said, If it is thus, if, if this is from the Lord, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. 
And the Lord said to her, the Lord spoke to her, two nations are in your womb. The two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And they were born, you know, very closely. Two brothers, twin brothers. And yet they were divided in the womb. And this was a picture of the continual division within the family of God. So Jacob and Esau were born. Jacob was the younger. He came out second. But through some twists and turns, you can read later, he, and, he got a hold of the birthright. He shouldn't have had it because he was the younger brother, but he got a hold of it. And in mysterious ways, in broken ways, um, there it was for all of his. And he, so he grew up and his family grew. He had children and cattle and this entourage. And so did his older brother Esau. Even though they divided, they were in the same land wandering around. And scroll over to a couple chapters later in chapter 33. A lot happens between these two chapters. They grow up. And, but then there's this meeting between Jacob and Esau. And Jacob approaches Esau with great care. Listen to the way that Jacob meets Esau. This is in chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Basically, he was so fearful that he was going to lose part of his family. And I'm not saying this is admirable on, on his part, but he oriented his family in such a way that he could approach Esau because he was afraid of him. But in verse 3, it says that he himself went on before them. Thankfully, I mean, man, if he would have been all the way in the back, that would have been terrible. <laughs> but he does go on ahead. But he bows himself to the ground seven times as he approaches Esau, who he, he knew he took the birthright from. So he knew after all these years, there it was. And then he comes near to his brother in verse four. But, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This encounter that though there was a division in the family of God at this point, there was this little glimmer of the older brother um, for a very brief moment reconciling with his baby twin brother. It's the same exact wording that we see in the parable of Jesus. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that he wants them as older brothers to be inside the house, inside the home. So as we close, um, what is your perspective? Having heard these parables for three weeks now, four weeks, one parable for three, what's your perspective are you 
an interested spectator or are you a participant? In other words, um, are you maybe akin to the Pharisees sort of grumbling at what God is doing and unwilling to come near to his kingdom? Or are you a participant in what he's doing? Another way to ask it is, where have you been? Where have you been? Where are you now? And where are you going? Maybe you need to accept the Father's love. We've been talking about that for three weeks now. Sometimes it takes a long time in life to accept that God loves you and to live in that love. And certainly um, that happens through coming to Jesus. Maybe you need to stop putting limits or boundaries on the kingdom of God. Apparently he has more than enough land. He's not worried about, he's not worried about limiting the size of his kingdom. Or maybe you need to step into the house. Horizontally, I think that practically speaking, that maybe this can go um, like this. Maybe you need to let go of the need to compare and to compete and just be okay with who you are. And horizontally invite others in to the kingdom. Vertically, maybe you need to let go of the need to achieve or perform or strive and accept that you are loved by God through Christ and to live in that love and that identity. This was at the heart of Jesus' ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, In Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. A few verses later, it talks about how Jesus, who had no sin, became sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange that's happening I want to invite the worship team forward as we close. And I want to invite you to be thinking about these questions in your own life. I, um, what brought us to this passage in the first place is I had had this feeling like, Lord, I don't know if I really love the lost. And I um, was feeling that. And then actually I read that passage, Luke 15, at a prayer meeting here. And I got to the end, and the Lord just really spoke to me. And I could barely finish it in the, in the moment just because he was saying something. But I, um, a couple months ago, someone suggested through this thing we were at, Pastor John, Pastor Jeff and I were there. And they said, um, pray this prayer. Lord, give me your heart for the lost. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple months. And as I've been praying that prayer, Lord, give me your heart for the lost. Um, cars, people driving cars used to bother me immensely, and sometimes they still do in my weak, weakness. But it's amazing what the insulation of a car will do for the way you think about a 
person driving it. You can walk down the aisle of a store and you run into somebody in a supermarket. You're like, oh, sorry. But somebody cuts you off in your car and you're like, who is this person? It's amazing what just a little layer of insulation will do to help, help us classify someone as an enemy. And, um, but the Lord's really been working on my heart in that when I walk into the store now, I, maybe it's where I am right now, just right now, but it's given me a sensitivity to how lost the world is. And um, these parables, I think, are at the heart of that, that Jesus is reconciling the lost world to himself, and we should be okay with that. So allow me to pray for us as we close in worship. Father, you are certainly an amazing father, the best picture of a father we could ever dream of or imagine. There's lots of metaphors and stories about fatherhood that point us to you. Thank you for this story that Jesus shared with the Pharisees to exemplify fatherhood and the kind of father that you are. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are um, the kind of father that we need, that you need to define that for us. And we need to respond to that, Lord. Why is it you always running to us? amazing, Lord, that you would run to us. And we love you for it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.